Well, praise God, that was uh, glorious. Uh, Mike is in California, and he asked me if I would pinch hit for him today, which I was glad to do. And uh, I, I know what you apexers are thinking. Let's trade elders, right? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Apex wouldn't have, I mean, Zenia wouldn't have us. <laughs> no, what a great group of guys and, and gals. Man, we, th- those guys and gals are in our heart. We have been in many uh, hand-to-hand combats uh, together, conflicts together with the enemy. We really have. And it's that kind of uh, conflict that so links your heart together. It's not just sitting in pews and, you know, singing songs. It's the warfare that really takes that level of fellowship to a next level. And so uh, I, would, I would say over the years of laboring with these brothers, we've been in the midst of it. So Mike asked me to preach on the subject of unity. So I want to take a minute here and I want you to pray. Right where you are, just pray silently. I'm going to pray. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit Jesus said seven times in the book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let's pray that. Let's pray that. That he would give me words to speak, that he would give you ears to hear. Let's call upon him right now, silently. The Bible says that uh, God's word is seed and our souls are the soil. And the seed has to find good soil. And it's very important that we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God as it is for those who are up here speaking to give the word of God all week. Actually, for two weeks, I've just been on my face crying out to the Lord, Lord, what do you have? And I'd come up from my office in the basement and Julie would say, well, what, what do you got? I got nothing. I got nothing. Day after day after day. Praying, praying, praying all day yesterday, on my face before the Lord. Praying, praying, praying. Unity, what a great subject. And uh, I'm so thankful to be able to share it. But here's what the Lord told me to do. I want you to read my word and I want you to make comments on it. So you're not gonna hear a lot of my words. You're gonna hear his words. So I'd like you to turn to Ephesians, if you would. David has it up on the screen for us, or will have, if he doesn't already. These are the passages uh, the Lord put on my heart. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that takes the printed word and turns it into the actual voice of God, isn't it? Apart from the Holy Spirit doing that, these are just, this is just ink on a page. But when the Holy Spirit takes that ink and turns it into the voice of God, our lives are transformed. That's my expectation today. I want to hear from the Lord. I want to hear from the Lord. Do you want to hear from the Lord? All right, well, we're in Ephesians chapter two. Psalm 133, I'll share this verse first. Psalm 133, verse one. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands the blessing. He's already blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But he commands blessings to come where brothers and sisters are dwelling together in unity. I have to say, I've been at Apex from the very beginning, 2000, I wandered in here. We've never been more united. We have never been more united as elders. We've never been more united as elders and staff. We've never been more united as a congregation. We've never been more united as a house church movement. God is at work. And it it might seem like, we've gone through some tough times. 
But you know what? It's those tough times that uh, equip us and make us dependent upon the Lord. I was thinking about this. If I preached every Sunday, I wouldn't be nearly as nervous as I am right now. I wouldn't be nearly as dependent on the Lord as I was these last two weeks because I could wing it because I'm used to doing this. But I'm not used to doing this. And it does cause me to be utterly dependent on the Lord. And you too, I hope, as you listen. (laughs) Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now that's where most of the world is today. They're without God and they're without hope and they're without Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the divining wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create him in himself one new man in place of two and so making peace. So all throughout the old covenant, they were the covenant people of God. Israelites, they were the covenant people of God and they were to show forth the glory of God among the Gentile nations, but they got all inward. And instead of showing the glory of God so that the Gentile nations could know their God and worship the only true and living God, they blew it. And God comes and he, in the person of Jesus and that little baby laying there in the manger is none other than God the creator. God the creator became a man, totally dependent upon his mother for milk, totally dependent upon his father for for a livelihood and all of that, a real man, yet without sin. And Jesus came to establish a new covenant and it's a covenant made up of Jew and Gentile. And in God's mind, that includes everybody in the world. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And God is, he's tearing down this middle wall partition that separated them. He's making one new body. He's taking out all the things that separate us and he's uniting us together, isn't he? And verse 17, and he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. I I don't have my glasses, so I have to get closer. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, when Jesus came, Jesus came to get a bride. He came to get a family. He came to get a body. And he came to form a temple. The Bible says that we collectively are the bride of Christ. When I look out over this audience, you're such a beautiful bride, but you're not nearly diverse enough for the Lord because his bride is going to be from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. But you're beautiful. We together are the bride of Christ. And who's our bridegroom? Jesus. Yes, the Lord Jesus. So he came to form a bride. He came to form a body, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Who's the head of the body? Jesus. And what are we? We are members one of another, aren't we? How desperately we need each other. 
Paul says the hand can't say to the arm, I have no need of you. We're totally linked together and we're supposed to function in unity as a body. When our body isn't functioning in unity, it's spasmatic. It doesn't work right. And he says he gives more honor to the less calmly part. So like my little toenail in God's economy, that gets more honor than the, the visible uh, mouth or, or the face. So this is how God operates. This is God's thinking. The head, Jesus is the head. We are the body. We're members one of another. His life is flowing, pulsing through our veins. We desperately need one another. We can, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Just like if I cut off my hand and threw it on the stage, what good would it be? We desperately need one another. He came to form a temple. And he says he puts each stone you know, Jesus, by the way, the word is uh, for carpenter, is, there is tecton. It's really stonemason. There wasn't, wasn't a lot of trees in that area. They didn't build with wood. They built with stones. Jesus was a stonemason. And, he, and he's putting, he's chiseling, and he's putting every stone in the temple as it pleases him. I don't get to choose what kind of stone I am. He gets to choose. And he's making a household. That's why we call him our father. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters. That's why Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brother. We're in the family of God together. Now that speaks of unity, bride and bridegroom. That's unity, isn't it? That's oneness. A temple, every stone fitting together, working for, to make the whole temple of God where the glory of God can come and dwell. A body functioning together, a family. This is God's plan. Verse 21 in whom the whole, oh, hey, about that, the body working together. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay, now, where was I? Okay, verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner, for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, but has now been revealed to us by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, here's the deal. This is a great mystery. And you might be fighting boredom right now. You might be fighting, man, this is, where, what's, he, what's he doing? Listen, this mystery that Paul is unveiling right now, all of you are just a blur. These glasses are re like readers. I can't, you know, no, can't make out any distinct features, but I can see. So this is a mystery. It was kept hidden from ages past. They didn't, under, Abraham didn't understand this. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they didn't understand this. This is something, this mystery is something that is being revealed in the new covenant. You, I mean, you got to pinch yourself and say, amen, hallelujah, this is a new thing. This is amazing stuff. I forget where I was. Where was I? I'm going to go to verse six. Huh? Five. Okay, which was not, I'm sorry, that was not made known to, 
Let's see now, okay, where am I? Okay, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all saints, this grace was given. Why? Paul, what is your message? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the temple of God, the household of God, the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers of authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to God's eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through the faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, this is it. Now, please tune in. For this reason, for all of Paul's just said, for this mystery, unknown in ages past, but now being revealed, for this reason, preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That's all of us, isn't it? That according to the riches of his glory, according to, to the same amount of the riches of God's glory. Can, 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 that, can that be numbered? Can that be weighed? No, it, it, it's unfathomable. According to the riches of his glory, that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts and that you're there as a plural, in your hearts, y'all's hearts, through faith. That you, plural, all of you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all saints. Now listen to this. What is the length and breadth and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Jesus, come and dwell in us collectively, collectively. Why? Because Renus, as an individual follower of Jesus, can never plumb the heights and depth and length and height of the love of Christ. This is a collective exercise. Did you notice what he says there? That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. This isn't something that is conjured up in your study alone. This is something that is worked out in the fabric of, a, of, of us being on mission together, of us owning the same Lord in a world that owns another Lord. It's us swimming upstream against a world that's going you know, as fast as they can into hell. It's us accepting our calling as ambassadors of Christ and standing against the tide and saying, Jesus is the only way. John Lennon, in his, uh, one of his most famous songs, I Imagine, he says, uh, imagine there's no heaven. 
It's easy if you try. No hell beneath us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And most of our world is imagining that. They're imagining there's no heaven. They're imagining there's no hell. They are living for today. He said, and he goes on to say, I know I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. I mean, this is a recruitment song by the Beatles. They're recruiting you to a, to a theology of no God. He even says in the song, there's no religion. He's recruiting you to a worldview that says, you're fools for being here this morning. There's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no Jesus Christ. We can be one. You know, that's the Tower of Babel, isn't it? How did that work out? How did that work out for John Lennon? Shot, murdered on the streets of New York. No, there's a heaven, there's a hell. And God has put us here to gather those, to populate heaven from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, hasn't he? We're on mission together. And, and how, does, how does this mission work itself out? It works itself, it works itself out in love. It says Christ is dwelling in us collectively, that the love of Jesus is made manifest to this lost and dying world. Now, each of us in our workplace, now we have, we have individual responsibility. So I carry Christ into my workplace. I carry Christ into my neighborhood. I carry Christ to the gas station. I carry Christ to the Sam's Club. Everywhere I go, I carry Christ. And I'm asking every day, Lord, Give me opportunities. Mike, prayed, Mike taught us about the man of peace. How many of us are praying for the man of peace to be manifest in our lives? You know, the men of peace are there. The women of peace are there. But if you're not asking, if you're not tuned in, you'll miss them. There's witnessing opportunities all around us to let this love of Christ that's dwelling in us to flow out to this lost and dying world. But if we're not tuned in, if we're not asking, we'll miss the opportunities. The thing I like about Mike Breen and this is the thing to how he has impacted my life. I've never met anybody so intentional about disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now, I've been saved for 45 years and I've been trying to make disciples for 45 years, but I have not been nearly as intentional as I ought to have been. And so, you know, intentionality and discipleship is it's almost caught, it's not taught. And just rubbing shoulders, we had an elder and, and uh, elder retreat with our wives and Mike and Sally, and we had a great time together. And on the way home, I looked at Julie and I just said, I've never met anybody so intentional about making disciples. I'm, I'm catching the vision. And so every day that's impacting my life. I'm an ambassador for Jesus and you're an ambassador for Jesus. And each of us are, you know, God is making us one, but we're each a unique expression of the love of Jesus, aren't we? we? God needs each of us or we wouldn't be here. Nobody can impact my circle like me and nobody can impact your circle, your domain like you. I will never meet your domain. You will never meet my domain. Each of us have this tremendous responsibility. But you know what? Jesus is living in us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Christ is in us. He wants to live through us. Then he says in verse 20, now unto him who is able to do 
exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that works in us. What, is, what power is that? That's the resurrection power of Jesus. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is in you. Now you might say, well, you know, I don't feel like I have any power. Well, it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. We walk by faith, not by sight. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The Bible says that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is in me. So how do I get in touch with that? How do I get in touch with that power? By stepping out in faith, by risk. We, by nature, are risk takers. Now, the church in the West, we've gotten way, way, way too comfortable. We're in our little comfort zones. And God, the spirit is shaking the body of Christ up today. I believe like I've never seen it in 45 years. When I got saved 45 years ago, there was this great divide in the body of Christ. There was the word people represented by John MacArthur. And it was the word, the word, the word, the word. And I, I was in that camp. I love the word. I've got 10 Bibles that are just, you know, falling apart because of the time I spent in the word. And then there was this other camp of of the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. And the word people spoke disparagingly about them. And they spoke disparagingly about the word people. The word people believed that the Pentecostal and the Charismatic peoples didn't believe in the Bible, didn't even know the Bible. And the Charismatics and the Pentecostals believed that the word people didn't know anything about the power of God. You know, the devil, he's so clever. And he got us backbiting and attacking one another. God, and so I went to India in 2006 and I met people that were, they seemed to be over here because they were experiencing healing and signs and wonders and prophetic words and all of that. And that was all new to me. And I actually prayed for people that were healed. I prayed for people that had babies that couldn't have babies. I'd never experienced that because I was a word guy. But then as I got over nine India trips and got to know Nehemiah, uh, like my brother, I found out why. He knows the Bible as well as anybody in this room. He's a word guy as well as a spirit guy. And God is doing something today. He's bringing the the word and the spirit people together. He's forming a unity. Now that's why Mike taught on healing. Mike's a spirit guy, but he's, he's also a word guy. That's why he asked for prophetic words of utterance. That made some of us really uncomfortable, didn't it? That was risky on his part. I told him, you're one step ahead of the people, you're a leader. You're 10 steps ahead, you're a martyr. (laughs) But he took the risk. I'm taking the risk this morning by doing this. God is bringing the spirit and the word people together like never before. In Acts chapter four, uh, verse 29, they were word people, they were the apostles they had received the word. Here's what they prayed. Lord, now, they'd just been beaten. They'd just been persecuted. They took their stand for Jesus. Here they come back. They're having a prayer meeting. Asked, Lord, grant your servants boldness to preach your word. Give us boldness to speak your word. Next verse. By stretching forth your hand to heal with signs and wonders. For the apostles of Jesus, for the men who traveled and slept and walked and ate with Jesus, They said they wanted bold proclamation. So give us signs and wonders, give us healings. 
If they needed healings and signs and wonders to boldly proclaim the word, how much more do we, 2,000 years removed? I used to be an open-air evangelist. I'd go on campuses and I'd preach Christ, I'd preach Christ, I'd preach Christ, and I'd try to draw a crowd. I was a word guy. Oh, I saw the Lord do a little something. I was never very good at it. The guys who were good at it, their message was all messed up. They preached judgment and hellfire and, and you're going to hell if you're wearing a skirt and all this stuff. And students would gather by the hundreds to mock them. I could hardly gather a crowd because I was preaching Jesus and his work on the cross. So I wasn't very good at it, but man, if I only knew then what I knew now, I'd be asking people, anybody here need to be healed? We've been going to Kroger's up on Nemo. They just closed it. But you go up there, you go to poor stores where the, where the poor people are. You know, God has the poor people on his heart. That's why he's doing such a work in India. They're the poorest of the poor and the tribe we're working in is the poorest of the tribe in India. That's why he's turning it upside down with the gospel. But we'd go there and we'd say, we'd just go to people and say, hey, we're just followers of Jesus. We're out here praying for people. Can we pray for you? And all, everybody says yes. Everybody says yes. And then I say, how can we pray for you? They start naming off disease, illnesses, uh, bondage to drugs, bondage to alcohol, a child that's a long ways from the Lord. Uh, you know, somebody, oh, they got a million, just like a million needs, just like us. And I'd say, can we lay hands on you and pray? Yes, lay hands on them, pray for them. And then we just transition. It's the easiest thing, you know, we're praying for healing for you, right? And we actually saw people healed right on the spot. And, and then, you know, Jesus loves you so much. He demonstrates his love for you by healing you, but he demonstrated his love for you 2,000 years ago by coming and dying on that cross for your sin. It's your sin that's, made, that's wrecked your life. Jesus loves you. We love you. I'll tell you what, evangelism is easier today than ever in my 45 years of following Jesus. Just ask people if you can pray for them. Just ask them if you can pray for them. Take a risk. Verse one of chapter four. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So he's telling us, guys, will you walk worthy of this calling? I'm calling, you to, I'm calling you to reach the world. Will you walk worthy of this calling? Will you walk in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we do this? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You see, God has already created this unity. He that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. We, we already, God himself has already formed this unity. It's our responsibility to maintain it. And how do we maintain it? We maintain it with gentleness, humility, esteeming others better than ourselves, not being, not being tail bearers, not receiving bad reports about other brothers and sisters. And he says in Philippians chapter four, this is a verse I don't have written down, but he says, listen to this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that's excellent, anything that's worthy of praise, think on these things. Not gossip. 
Satan is the accuser of the brethren. There's so much of that going on in America. I don't want to be the accuser of the brethren. I love my Pentecostal brothers. I love my word brothers. God is bringing us together. And since the tornadoes hit Dayton and since the shooting hit Dayton, I saw the body of Christ gather together to serve people and to love on people and to, you know, to get them back on their feet and to come alongside of really, really hurting people. And nobody was saying, are you a charismatic? Uh, are you a word guy? No, we're Jesus guys. And we're here to love on you. And, and God is doing something in the city of Dayton. That he's bringing the black churches and the white churches together like I've never seen. Julie and I go to a prayer, and Paul go to a prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. And it's led by uh, Bishop Jennings. Uh, he's a black brother who loves Jesus. And I'm sure if Bishop Jennings and I sat down and try to find differences, we could probably find some, but we don't do that. And we, we're laying hold together of my black brothers and sisters and Julie and I and Paul, there's very few whites there. And we're laying hold for our city. And there's a oneness there and there's a love there. They love us and we love them. We just went to New Hope Lutheran Church up on Catalpa this past Tuesday. And this black lady comes up to us and she says, my name's Connie, you can call me Connie or you can call me child of God. I'm going to use that. I'm going to be child of God from now on. That was so beautiful. And then, then she led us through the Lord's Supper. I, I tell you, it's like we were at the foot of the cross catching Jesus' blood dripping off his toes in our hands. I mean, it was the most moving thing. Unity, brothers and sisters. John 17, I'll close with this. John 17, if you'll go there. David, are you up there? Oh, yeah. Okay, I haven't put him to sleep yet. John 17. Are you guys with me? Do you want to go into a greater degree of oneness? I mean, these brothers in Xenia, these elders, man, we've went through a lot together. And, and we're one. They're, they're in my heart. They're going to be, in, I'm going to carry them in my heart the rest of my life. And I think the same is true from everything they said. We, we carry each other in our hearts. There's a oneness. So beautiful. And you know, that's the thing. Okay, here's the verse. I, I got to get to the verse. John 17, verse 20. Now, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now, remember, this is the last day. Before, Jesus is going to the cross right after this. In 72 hours, he's resurrecting from the dead. Okay? So this is, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer in the upper room discord, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. That's the upper room discourse, okay? In the book of John, that's the last night, the night on which Jesus was betrayed right before he went to Gethsemane. This is what he prayed. And I'm not, I don't have time to do the whole thing, obviously, but I want you to go to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay, who's he praying for? <laughs> Thank you. What is he praying? That they all may be one. This is on Jesus' heart. I mean, this is, this is right before the cross. This is the last final instructions. That they all may be one. That they all may be one. Now, he, he tells us what this oneness is. It's, it's not sameness. Oneness is not sameness. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be one in us. 
It's the fathers and the son. It's the sons and the fathers. The father and son are in us. It's a spiritual unity, isn't it? It's a mysterious, mysterious, physical unity. I mean, spiritual unity. You know, God created diversity. Genesis 1.27, he made them male and female. Two different genders. And then in chapter two of Genesis, he unites them together and it says they become one flesh. Do they lose their distinctness? No, they still are men. They still are women, but they've become one flesh. God loves unity, diversity in the midst of unity. He doesn't want us to be all the same. Apex has a niche in the body of Christ. My brother's at Living Word, uh, Pastor Pat Murray. What a brother. Ah, he's a little on the charismatic side. Man, I've learned so much from him. He's starting the dream house down on 3rd Street. And the dream house is going to be a one-stop shop for hurting people. Jeff and Valerie of, of Life Enrichment Center. I don't see you here, but they're here somewhere. Uh, man, they have, they have, they're way ahead of us in terms of uniting the body of Christ to reach hurting people. Thank you, Jeff and Valerie. God is at work. He loves diversity. Now, what is the purpose of diversity? What is the purpose of unity? That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's the purpose right there. That the world would believe. Does the world believe? Does the world believe? Well, some part of the world is believing. I believe God is bringing the body of Christ together like never before, but we're on mission together. It's only as we're on mission together that uh, this, this oneness will really convince the world that the Father sent the Son. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Whoa, the Father loves me the same way he loves his son. Wow. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory and that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even the world, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. I have, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus is praying that last verse that the love the father has for Jesus, we would love, the, we would love Jesus the same way, that that love of the father would be in us to love Jesus. And that love would be manifest collectively uh, Jay, I think it was, he said when he came in here for the first time, he was hit in the face by the love of God. That when people, when visitors came in here, they'd be overwhelmed by our love. Not our Bible knowledge. By our love. By our love. It's a tangible thing, isn't it? I got to close. Why should a person become a Christian? To be happy, I was plenty happy before I became a Christian. Should a person become a Christian so he can have a better marriage? Christian marriages and unsaved marriages. 
Same divorce rate. No, you know why people should become Christians? Because of the wrath of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter one, verse 18, and many in Romans chapter five, verse nine, first Thessalonians 1.10, but a verse that you all know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish. Our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Yes, it's, uh, we're talking about love here this morning, but our God is a consuming fire. And those who reject his son will experience eternal damnation. Hell is real. John Lennon was wrong. And it's all, it, it lasts for all of eternity. And people in our circle of influence are dead in their sins and trespasses. They're alienated from the life of God in Jesus Christ. And you might be the only person in their life that can love them enough to speak boldly into their lostness. The wrath of God is coming. People will call on avalanches to come and hide them from the wrath of the lamb in the coming day. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. You've never experienced the love of Jesus Christ in your life. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus loves you. He loved you to the point of going to the cross and suffering and dying for you. He loves you. He does, it's not his intention. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants you to come to faith. He wants you to place your trust in him and experience the new birth and the Holy Spirit coming into your life and making you one with the rest of us. Some of you are here and you've already trusted the Lord Jesus as your savior but there's still an area of your life that's lost. There's a lost area in your life. Maybe it's worldliness, maybe it's greed, maybe it's selfishness, uh, maybe it's lust. It's a thousand things, isn't it? Lord Jesus wants you to know that he loves that area of your life. He wants you to overcome that area of your life. He wants you to be a vessel fitted for the master's use. And, and that's not a perfect vessel because if God was only using perfect people, he wouldn't have anybody to use. But he's using broken people. He's using people that are coming to grips with sin areas of their lives and saying, Lord, I want to be a vessel. I want to be clean. I want to be humble. I want to be broken. I want you to use me far beyond anything I could ask or think. Okay. There's a, one of my favorite movies is the movie, The Guardian. And I've shared this illustration before, but it'll take me two minutes to share it if you give me the grace to do it. Okay, you guys wanna hear it? It's, it's a great movie. It's about a guy who's a Coast Guard rescuers and their motto is so others may live. Anybody in the Coast Guard? Nope. Anyways, their motto, so others may live. And these guys, they, the training they go through is like Navy SEAL training. I mean, it's so intense. And uh, the story's about a guy named Ben who, him and his helicopter guys, they were out rescuing people in a Hurricane uh, 3 tornado and the helicopter went down and everybody was lost except for him. And he was an older guy, he was near the end of his career, so they made him an instructor. And another guy named Jake comes and Jake is the young Olympic caliber swimmer. He can swim stronger and faster than anybody else. He breaks all the records, but he's not a team player. 
And, and, and Ben tries to get into Jake's stuff to figure out why this guy is, he's got all the physical tools, but he's not working out. And finds out that Jake was a designated driver back in high school when he was 16 years old and he wrecked the car and three of his swimming teammates were killed. And he's bearing this, this uh, you know, thorn and, and it's ruining him from being a team player. And Ben speaks into that and says, hey, I know what it's like to lose a whole crew I bear that every day of my life. And God uses the words that Ben speaks into Jake and Jake catches the vision for being a team player. And he does, he breaks all the records. And at the end of the movie, they're in a bar and this is after graduation, post-graduation, and they're drinking a few beers. And, uh, and uh, Jake says to Ben, how many, how many? Over the, over the length of your career, how many were you able? And uh, Ben says, 22. And Jake says, 22? Huh, I would have thought, thought it's been more than that. And Ben says, 22 is the number I lost. It's not the number I saved. I never kept track of the number I saved. It was the number I lost. And I was reading this in uh, Ken Geyer's book, The Relentless Pursuit, and Ken goes on to say, I think Jesus has all the lost numbered. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem, what, is, what does he do? He weeps bitterly over Jerusalem. Oh, I would, I would that you'd come, but you would not. That Jesus, Ken relates how Jesus' heart is broken over lost people who are gonna face an eternity without him. I would, but you would not. In the fire service, I've seen guys, I was a fire chief and I walked into a firehouse one day and one firefighter had another firefighter down the ground with his hand over his throat, had his fist pulled back. He was just ready to redesign his face. And I walked in, ah! And uh, so then I made a rule. When I went from firehouse to firehouse, the firehouse I was leaving had to call, call the firehouse I was going to and let them know I was on my way. So I never walked into that again. But I would see, I would see firefighters like that and they would, you know, Almost, they would come to physical blows. But you put those same two firefighters in a good working fire where there's a rescue and they're depending on one another. And man, there's a camaraderie and a oneness there that this world knows very little about. Guys in the military who have been in combat, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now guys, we are on mission. We're in combat every single day with an enemy. And we can, we can turn our fist against one another. We can turn our words against one another. We can be divisive. Or we can say, Lord Jesus, I want, you, I, want, I want you to dwell in my heart by faith. I want to experience the length and breadth and depth, the height of the love of Jesus. Lord, I want you to set a guard at the door of my mouth because I can't control this thing. Everything I say, Lord, may it answer to wisdom, may it answer to truth, may it answer to necessity, may it answer to love. Lord, use me to build the body of Christ. Use me, Lord, to speak words to dying individuals. I'm gonna pray for us. And uh, thank you for allowing me to speak. I know that was kind of uh, odd and rambling, but it's good for you. It's good for you. God put apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists in the church. We need all five. And uh, if you have a lost part of you, 
that needs the Lord's love to address. I wanna invite you to come up and we'll pray for you here. Or if you wandered in here today and you don't know anything about the love of Jesus other than all you know right now is that he died for you and you've never believed in him, I wanna invite you to come up today and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. So I'll pray and as I pray, uh, please come. And there'll be others up here to pray with you. Lord Jesus, wow, you are so, you're so marvelous, Lord. We can't even fathom how glorious you are. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I thank you for the oneness that you're forming in this group of believers, Lord. In 20 years of coming here, I've never seen this body of believers so united. I've never seen the elders and staff so united. I thank you for our unity with Xenia, Lord. Lord, it's such a beautiful unity. Now, Lord, we want you to use us beyond anything we could even ask or think. We want the resurrection power of Jesus to be flowing through us. We want to bring the spirit people and the word people together for the lost people to see them saved. Lord Jesus, you came. You did everything. You lived your life in such a way that you could become our savior. And there on the cross, you took the wrath of God. You took it on your own body on the tree. So there's none left for us who have trusted you. Bring my brother, bring people today, Lord. Bring them to the cross, bring them to yourself. Lord, every lost area of our lives, Lord, we wanna lay down today at the foot of your cross. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.